and gentlemen, may I have your attention for This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. talent and see what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Tommy, can you hear me? And he's thinking there could be quite a thing between us. But what of my career? Then she says, and he says, uh, Well, it's been a long day. Well, it's been a long, been a long, been a long, been a long day. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Movie Musical Shakedown. I, of course, am your host, Mr. Chris Peterson. Very, very excited to be talking to you today. And we're doing a pretty interesting movie today. We're doing 1967's how to succeed in business without really trying. A film that is very dated. I mean, that's that goes without saying. It, it's a dated film. But it does ask some pretty interesting questions. And it raises, I think, a lot of interesting topics that are timely for 2019. I mean, the first, obviously, being the role of women in the workforce and issues surrounding sexual harassment, which I'm not entirely sure if this movie satirizes, um, criticizes, or somehow makes light of. And I think you can make an argument for both cases, and, and we, we definitely will do that here, here on this podcast. Um, I've got a great co-host today. I mean, I've got the best co-host I could ask for. Sorry to all of my other co-hosts, but it's my wife, Nicole. And I wanted her to be my, my guest for this because... She has some very, you know, passionate and, and strong-held beliefs about women in the workforce. She has been a successful person in her own right in her professional career and has gotten every single position based on, number one, how hard she works, and number two, her acumen, so to speak, her, her intelligence and her, her, you know, savviness when it comes to the jobs that she's held. So, and she's gotten there, you know, She's done everything on her own. I mean, she really has, you know, all the promotions that she's ever received, all the jobs she ever received was all because of her. And so that's why I felt like she would be a really, really interesting, you know, person to talk to on this podcast. So um, that's why I wanted to have her on. Plus, it's my show, so I can pick my co-hosts. Anyway, um, before we get started, though, I want to just make a quick note. We are on episode 16 of this podcast, which is incredible, incredible achievement. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, the last podcast I did, I think lasted three episodes. And the only reason why this one has lasted as long as it has is because of you, the listeners. I mean, you've done such a great job of, you know, emailing us and telling us what movies you'd like us to do. You've been tweeting us, you've been posting your comments on Facebook. So keep it up, please. It encourages me to keep this going. And really being the only podcast out there that does this at this level. So, you know, we're going to keep it going. And like I said, you know, at previous podcasts and at the end of this podcast, you can find this one on all of our other podcasts on the Onstage Blog Network at onstageblog.com. You can also listen to this on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes. So I've kind of selected the big ones, the big boys of the podcasting networks out there. So however you digest these podcasts, you can listen to us on there as well. So when we come back, of course, I'm going to be joined once again by my wife, Nicole, as we break down 1967's How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. But first, as always, here's the trailer. Of all the Broadway musical comedies that ever made the screen sing out, Nothing succeeds like succeed. I believe in you. A fact but Terry is not nothing. While Nike pulls my string, her pants is to write in and not spend the night in. 
company way Wherever the company puts me there, I'll stay This book is all that I need How to, how to succeed the only motion picture that guarantees you a better position. Mr. Finch will be starting out in our mailroom. Mr. Gatch is taking young Finch into his department as a junior executive. Finch, I'm making you vice president in charge of advertising. Vice president? Well, Ponty, what do you think? <laughs> Large. picture that shows you how to take an all-day coffee break with lots of sugar how to have a 50-week vacation with play how to take a dip a secretary is not a toy no my boy not a toy how to take a dip in the secretarial pool. See it before your boss does. And I am now joined by really the best co-host anybody could ever ask for. <laughs> Definitely the prettiest and most charming. And I, if it sounds like I'm sexually harassing my co-host, I feel it's only you fitting. You are. Um... I am. <laughs> I feel it's only fitting given this movie. But I'm here talking to my wife, Nicole. Mm -hmm. So thrilled to have you back. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been at least a... Been a few, it's been a few weeks, but I finally have my voice back. Yes. I was I was sick for what three weeks. I think so. so. We we had to delay recording this for like at least a week and a half. Um, but so glad you're back, and I'm so glad that I made you sit through this movie because this was <sighs> this was a tough watch for you, wasn't it? This, I was absolutely disgusted by this movie. So, I mean, there's obvious things that you know, make it a tough watch, mm -hmm. especially, you know, to be honest with you, not even through like a 2019 lens, I think any lens, it's a tough watch. 1967.5, yeah, like a like month after this came month, out. Yeah. <laughs> I think when you go see this movie for the first time ever, it's a tough <sighs> watch. But give me, give me just your, some, some general thoughts off the top of your head about this film. So visually, I think this movie is a lot of fun. I enjoyed just actually watching it. The colors, the costumes, that I thought was a lot of fun, right. and I enjoyed it. But there is not a single likable character in this entire movie. It's kind of like the is it as if like the Social Network. Well, and I was, was thinking a, like the Wolf of Wall Street. Like they're yeah, the all Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. every character is either vapid or a dirtbag. Like, there's no in-between. Right. And I just don't have any patience even, for that. Even the protagonist of the film is... He's just, a, like, yeah, no, he's a dirtbag trying to get to the next level, and he's using people along the way. Yeah. And... So let's, let's uh, talk about it. So, I mean, you, you brought up, um, first of all, the, the look of the film. And we'll talk about this mm -hmm. later when we talk about the design of it. But to me... I don't know what it is. I mean, I know there's a lot of dirtiness and skeeviness and just non, you know, terrible, you know, roles of, mm -hmm. of people at that time. But man, there's something about like mid to late sixties in New York city that I'm always going to love. And I don't know. Oh, I do too. And I also think that plays a part in what made 
the movie so palatable Mm -hmm. is that, again, even though there's really crappy stuff happening this whole movie, it makes you feel like you're on a fun jaunt when there's like a, you know, candy apple green background you know they, they're that they're talking in front of uh oh, but yeah yeah you know, it's, it's, it's something about just that look the way that the mm-hmm. city you know just it just the way that i perceive the city to be at that time before you get into that grittiness and dirtiness of the, of the 70s and 80s i just there's something about that time and i think you know shows like mad men mm-hmm. you know captured that really well too and and ironically Robert Morris is in Mad Men too, and I think that's actually the 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 on the nose casting of that was you know he was in How to Succeed, he's so uh, definable by How to Succeed. Mm-hmm. This is definitely his most iconic role he's ever had. Which is funny because I had never seen it until I watched it a few weeks ago and first uh, time. Yeah, I've only seen this like maybe three times. I've heard. I mean, I've heard the soundtrack yeah. and I've seen the dance numbers from it, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, I, I saw the. Uh, Broadway revival with uh, Matthew Broderick back in the day, mm-hmm. and we'll talk a little bit about that too. But um, yeah, no, it's 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 interesting to you know Robert Morris. I just knew from this and Mad Men, like that's mm-hmm. his gap, and um, he had a really interesting performance in this. <sighs> Let's talk about this. It's it's a very unconventional casting. I mean, he he had played the role on Broadway, mm-hmm. which is why he got this role. Oh, really? I didn't realize yeah, so that. So he had, he had actually been in the original cast. But um so he moves like spaghetti. And like he has no control over his limbs, which makes me crazy because that's one thing like in my students I'm always correcting is having like direction with your movement and having everything have a meaning where I feel like he was literally just letting whatever happen happen. <laughs> yeah, he was an interesting choice. I mean, it's very unconventional look, very short guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, that's the clear thing. But what's interesting is that his casting kind of sets the tone for this character with every other actor that's played it on Broadway. So after Robert Morris, you had Matthew Broderick playing it on Broadway and then years later, you had Daniel Radcliffe playing mm-hmm. it on Broadway. So you always seem to have to have this, like, short in stature type of, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Boyish type But of I think that's how you sell that character, though. Because if you had Robert Redford, you know, a right. tall, handsome mm-hmm. person who's already got a foot in the door to success... You're not going to root for them. Mm-hmm. Granted, I didn't root for him at all. Any step of this movie, <laughs> right? But <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's it, it's a tough watch. Um, you know, the nuzzling. Yeah, we're gonna get. That's my. That's one of my lingering questions. Okay, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get bit. into yeah. that. Right. Um, you know, it's a very it's a very of 1967. I mean, you know, when this movie came out, it you, it just oozes 1967. But one thing that I think is is when you go back and watch this now. The way that women are treated in this movie are awful. Mm-hmm. It's atrocious. It's 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 beyond, and it's not even like within the storyline of how badly they're treated, uh, which is also true. But the way that they're shot in this film, um, there's a lot of lingering shots on behinds and, and chest regions, and, and um, the way that the men react to them uh, <laughs> as they walk in. I mean, there's just like. It's just bad. And well, the direct- and even, like, they even have women who are, I mean, adult women mm-hmm. with pigtails and ribbons in their hair. I mean, they are, they're dressed like children in right. jumpers and things. And it's just, when I was watching it going, that woman is probably the same age as I am. Right. You know, probably in her 30s. And she's wearing pigtails and... Being mm-hmm. talked to like a child, yeah, yeah it's just not it, they're just not given a lot in this film, and the director, you know uh David Swift, who really doesn't have a lot of directing credits, he was actually more of a writer, if anything, but um he actually wrote and directed the parent trap of a movie oh, so like well, that was definitely the better film, right, well, what's interesting <laughs> is it like you know you go from from that film, which is just really, you know, wholesome, 
Yeah, I can see, like now that you say that, though, the color schemes and right. the cuts between scenes mm-hmm. are similar. Right. Uh, he's also the writer of the Pollyanna, Pollyanna <gasps> series on, on Disney. Oh. Um, as well. So, I love Haley Mills. Right. I know. And so like, that's the weird <laughs> thing is that, like, you know, you do you go from like, like the Haley Mills wholesomeness of nineteen sixties Disney. Mm-hmm. And then you go to this like outrageous, just like awful well, maybe on, film. But, but maybe that's what he was waiting for. Mm-hmm. He'd had enough of Pollyanna and wanted to, wanted to just break out and do something else. Yeah, do something so cutting point. edge. That's a good theory. Um, interesting cast here. I mean, you've got Robert Morris. You've got Michelle Lee making her first film debut. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't really know who. Um, <clears throat> Michelle Lee is. Uh, she is best known for. I'm trying to think. What is? Um, gosh, what what was the series? I'm I'm, I'm blanking. Um, <clears throat> Knots Landing. Mm-hmm. She was really known for for Karen McKenzie on, on Knots Landing. Um, I actually saw her on Broadway years ago in the Tale of the Allergist's Wife, which was a, a play which she was really good in. Um, but yeah, no, she was interesting. Interesting casting there. She, I mean, you know, she looks great in the, in the film. Um, I think she's actually one of the better singers in the film, but just treated awfully. And, and well, and that's. Are we gonna get into songs? Oh yeah, we're, uh, we'll talk about that later because too. Because they cut I, half of her songs too in this film. This well, no, but she has one of the most beautiful songs in the show, which was not actually supposed. She was supposed to sing in the first place. But it's just so disingenuous the whole situation right. like it oh, oh um, frustrates me rudy valley who plays jb bigley um he was also in the original cast on broadway mm-hmm. um and we'll talk about him a little later maureen arthur who plays hedy larue which is again just <laughs> awful character mm-hmm. and i just you know there are some of these characters you just watch and you just think to yourself like oh my god like they had to be on set and be directed to do some of these things. And you just feel awful for these actors. And Maureen Arthur is one of them who, you know, to her credit, I mean, she had, um, you know, a really, really good career. I mean, she had been in a, a lot of different, uh, you know, uh, movies of that era. I mean, she, she still alive today, still kicking. Um, but I mean, she had done a lot of TV, a lot of, a lot of, um, I mean, she had been on The Monkees. She had done, like, Get Smart. I mean, she had done some really good stuff. And then she comes on this, and it's like, ugh. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that Hedy Lou character, is, it's a tough watch on that end as well. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, any other any other general thoughts about this film? Um, well, I really, and I know we're going to talk more about specific numbers, Um but I just I felt like the makeup mm-hmm. for Ponty was just yeah, not was good. Yeah, I felt like it. I mean, they really did kind of a terrible job. And I don't know. Well, I don't know if it was a terrible job or if he's just got one of those faces. Then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I just it was really distracting to me. So. Yeah. Well, going just really quickly, just going back to the whole sexual harassment thing and, and the roles of women in this, mm-hmm. in this film. What you know, as a as a woman yourself, obviously, yes. um, what what was specifically really jarring to you in this film uh, was the fact that the women were only used as pawns to help Ponty get what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Now, like. Obviously, I don't love the shots lingering on rear ends and on chests and the just the blatant ogling. Um, and I don't love the, I don't know, the, the dumbing down and the uh, making very childlike of a lot of the female characters. But what, I re- what really bothered me the most is the fact that um, Michelle Lee's character remind me of her name. Oh, uh, Rosemary. Rosemary. <clears throat> yep. Um, that she buys in genuinely to help this guy, and from the moment that they met. From the moment that they met, right? <laughs> which I know could be you know some sort of romantic trope, I guess, but like she buys in for the moment they meet and sticks with him. 
And then at the end, she thinks the only other female character, the only other female lead, sleeps with him. And they're, the two women are made to fight it out with one another. Mm-hmm. And then magically it's all okay again. Right. And then they're held, they're on to the next adventure. I felt like it was just such a flat characterization for someone who actually could have had kind of a cool character arc. Right. Right, exactly. No, it's it's and it took away all of the substance from everything she did. And we mm. can talk about this later, but I believe in you is a really great song. Yeah. But it has no emotional weight because it's based on all falsehood and based on really one manipulative character and one character who's had all the depth sucked out of her. Right, right. I, I'll just I'll never understand Rosemary's attraction to Pierpont. Nope. And in any incarnation that I've seen this this story, uh, it's never made sense to me. So it's just one of those like love stories, and I'm just like, okay, I guess I'll just accept it as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, which leads into our next topic of conversation: lingering questions, folks. We know that sometimes these movies <coughs> don't. Um, Oh, that cough is back. Sorry. Oh, my gosh. Um, we know that some of these movies do not tie up all loose ends. Sometimes mysteries go unsolved. So I call these this lingering questions, basically. Like, what questions does this movie not answer? Or what things do people that, that we have questions about mm-hmm. that years later? So let's go back and forth. So let's start with you, because I've got yes. a couple. I'm sure you've got a couple. Go, go with your first question. Um, why... Does Ponty nuzzle everything? Yeah, Everyone. So <laughs> it's really um, it's disconcerting. Folks, to me. <laughs> first of all, uh, I failed to mention before, you can watch this movie right now on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. So if anybody has Amazon Prime out there, you can absolutely watch uh, How to Succeed. Uh, if you have, you know, if obviously if you haven't never seen it, you shouldn't be listening <laughs> to this podcast at all. But um, if you have recently, you'd know, you'd see that Robert Morse has this thing with personal space in this movie where he mm-hmm. literally is nuzzling and coming very close face to face to basically everybody that he's talking to and it's very weird i'm not gonna lie like it's very weird like especially during the groundhog number when he's basically spooning with jb bigley um, yes during the um uh gosh what's that song i can't I'm well, even the scene in the beginning when he's in the mail room, in the, mail room. Thank the guy you. puts yeah. his arm around him and he starts rubbing his cheek on the guy's arm it's just it's a weird blocking move, and I don't know if that was a David Swift thing or if it was a Robert Morris thing. Probably more the latter than the former, but it's weird. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you're watching this, just like watch how close Robert Morris is getting to some of these people's faces and and the way that he's using body contact because it's it's weird. I'm not, I'm just gonna throw that out there. It's weird, and plus also the, the way that he reacts to people and when they when they're talking to him, mm-hmm. he's constantly looking away and looking. He's doing this weird head thing, yeah. And it's like the way he's looking at like people, mm-hmm. and like I'm trying to do it. My impression of you know to right. Nicole right now, it's it's a very weird. It is performance. That's the, that's the best way I can put it. Um, all right. So Mike, one of my questions was, does anybody notice that he actually steals the book at the beginning of the movie? He doesn't pay for the book, so he goes to the newsstand. He grabs a paper, he starts reading it, and then at the corner of his eye, he sees the book. He picks it up, and then he walks away with it. You never see him actually pay for the book. So I'm like, oh my god, right there at the top of the movie, he's actually committed a crime. I think, he, I mean, the title itself like, tells you that your lead character is just a dirtbag. <laughs> How to succeed in business without really trying. Chapter one, steal this book. Like, don't pay for it. He literally just picks it up and walks away so that that was one thing i noticed like literally at the top of the movie um go ahead for you um the song rosemary sounds like jesus christ superstar rosemary <laughs> superstar oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow i've never made that connection before um it's probably just my brain that has that problem well but, i mean i will say that andrew lee weber is well known for taking melodies and like lifting other people's songs and doing variations of them. but so that's that, the that only be... thing that i could think of when i heard that song i was like jesus right. <laughs> and I, I think they i gotta look at the dates again i think they came out roughly in the same era so four years apart i think so yeah no, 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 wait, 73 was the movie for Jesus Christ Superstar, so I don't remember when the stage production, it's I think maybe 1970. Yeah. Know, I gotta look, but yeah, so it's, it could be very, 
he probably lifted that too. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I didn't, not, not, but you know, the funny thing now that you say it, now I'm hearing it in my head. There you go. Um, all right. Lingering question I had. Uh, where is every, where is people of color? Like, where are they in this movie? On the poster. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, here's a good, here's, here's a drinking game for, for how to succeed. Um, every time you see a person of color, take a shot because you'll be sober by the end of this movie because I think you might take You'll one. all be able to drive home. <laughs> they, there is one woman and she is in the secretary is not a toy number. She's an African-American um, secretary. She's the only person of color in this entire movie. And I get it. I get it's 1967. I get the fact that at that time it might be unrealistic to see an African-American, Latino, Asian, especially in that corporate world, especially at the higher levels of corporate world. But still, it is a little jarring you know, to see a movie that has one black actress in it. And what's hilarious enough is she's barely seen and um, they actually ended up putting her on the poster on Amazon Prime. <laughs> so if you go to Amazon Prime, you look at the poster of this movie, you'll see her in the poster featured prominently because they probably were like you know what we have to illustrate some diversity in this in this film so that was my big thing i was like where are all the you know people of color in this movie all right nicole any other lingering questions well just uh, something that i noticed uh one ponty makes creepy faces especially in you gotta get that man slash um i believe in you reprise at Mm -hmm. the end yep just this facial expressions are very strange. But in that dance at the end, when the older men are supposed to freeze in a pose, mm-hmm. they can't hold it and they keep wobbling. And I don't know why they use that take. Is that the best take they had? But they're supposed to be frozen and they keep like, losing oh, their yeah. balance. That's a good question. I don't know. Either way, it, it was so, it stood out to me. It oh, really stood out to me. I do have a question. One more question. Why was Gatch just simply transferred to Venezuela when he like forcibly kissed Hetty? But seeing how that's like J like J B Bigley's like you know side woman mistress in a way, like why wasn't he just all out fired for that? Oh, I don't know. That was that was that was one thing that I was like, wait, why wasn't he just fired? Like he, you just made a move on on the boss's mistress, like. But maybe because it was the mistress. Oh, maybe. Like, I mean, who knows? Because we don't want him talking, either. I mean, first of all, the fact that he wasn't fired for doing that to anybody, right, speaks to the times. Number one, but number two is like that just made me a little like, huh? Like, why didn't they just fire him? Like, you just made a move on the boss's girl. Like, that's. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I mean, this movie, Bud Frump is supposed to be the villain in this movie, but yet everybody's terrible in this movie. No. So. There were moments where I was like, hey, Bud, I feel ya. <laughs> Rat them out. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, folks. We know that sometimes when we're watching these movies, you know, we have some reactions. You know, sometimes scenes give us goosebumps. Sometimes they give us chills. Sometimes they make us cringe. I like to call these chill scenes. So... Basically, Nicole, did you have any chill scenes in this movie? Or cringeworthy moments? I mean, there's probably a lot of cringeworthy, but... Yes. Chill scenes. um, In The Secretary is Not a Toy, there were really nice call-outs to Fosse choreography to come. Mm -hmm. There were shapes that were used in Sweet Charity. Um, There was, like, the percussive movement from I Want to Be a Dancing Man. Um, And also, even just the like charities and it felt a little pajama game-ish which was closer to that era Mm -hmm. but even like charity's posturing that really famous position that she's in where her hip is cocked and her arm you know her arm is out to the side right um that's used and there are little little shout outs to it and that i know those pieces come later in his career but it was kind of interesting to see that developing yeah definitely um so that caught my attention. Um, but a cringe moment um, when Hetty pops out of the treasure chest in like the pirate in the pirate thing. Well, first of all, this movie, you could say that this entire show goes off the rails towards the end of Act Two. Like the, the, from the treasure 
thing to like everything after that it's just like it's like they gave up writing <laughs> well i just i was like really so we're just doing this now <laughs> like that's all i could think is when she pops out i was like so we're not trying anymore nope, nope not at all <laughs> and i at that point like i try really really hard when i'm watching these films to sit there with my notebook and not look at my phone and not get up to check on our son just to focus on what's in front of me and as soon as she popped out of that treasure chest, I was like, okay, I'm done. I closed my notebook. <laughs> Give up. I uh, gave up. I left I it on up. so I would see what was happening. But I just, it, the substance, what what little of there was, yeah. strolled out the door. I think for me, a chill scene is, is anytime I hear I Believe in You, it's, it's going to be a chill for me because it's, it was actually one of the songs that I used for auditions a lot. So anytime I hear it, it brings me back to singing it, rehearsing it, auditioning. So that's like a flashback piece for me. Um, and then for cringeworthy moments, one really cringeworthy moment that I noticed was that whole number where you're just watching the secretaries get ready for the day. Like the Oh, whole, see, I like that. Did you? I was like looking at it. I was like, oh, man, like this is all we're going to do is No, them. I thought maybe, I thought it was probably like 30, 40 seconds too long. Oh, okay. But I thought that was a fun start to it. Like, it reminded me a little bit of, like, the typewriter dance from Thoroughly Modern Millie. Like, it gave you that little peek without having to go in-depth or having to know who any of them are. Yeah, I think if they showed them, like, doing their job, it's different. I think just watching them get pretty for their bosses, I was like... Well, no, that that aspect of it was ridiculous. That's what I was like, that's where I was coming from, was like, oh, God, like, this is just... Yeah. (laughs) But, like, I thought there was humor in it, too. Like, when they all took their heels off. Right, like, <laughs> right. Things you can relate to. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Um, folks, we know that sometimes the casts that we see on screen are not the casts that were originally planned for these pieces. Sometimes people audition, sometimes people are offered roles, and then you know decide not to take them. So sometimes um, we don't actually get the cast that was originally intended for this piece. So I like to call this section, would this movie have been better with someone else playing some of these roles? And I, with um, the research that I did with this movie... I wasn't able to find a lot of alternate casting choices, but I did find one. Um, and I'm going to spring this on Nicole. She has no idea what I'm about to say. But originally, uh, the first choice to play J. Pierpont Finch was actually Dick Van Dyke. And he was judged to be too old for the role at that time. So this is like mm-hmm. post, like, this is obviously post uh, Mary Poppins. Um, things the Dick like that. Van Dyke show, Dick, yeah. Post Dick Van Dyke show and stuff like that. So I do agree that he's probably a little too old to play this role. But. Would this movie have been better with Dick Van Dyke in that role? Uh, that's really difficult. I feel like he can make most characters likable. He really can. And he can make most situations just seem more natural. and mm-hmm. seem, you know, I just, I'm a big Dick Van Dyke fan. However, I, I don't think I would want to see him in that role. I don't want to see him playing kind of a dirtbaggy womanizer type. I have no need to see Dick Van Dyke do anything but dance with penguins. <laughs> okay, so. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> so maybe it would have been better but you you would you would want him to accept the role. Correct. Gotcha. gotcha. All right folks, we know that, you know, with these movie musicals, you have to have four <laughs> areas really firing on all cylinders, uh turning it to 11 to really be um an incredible movie musical. And that, of course, is singing, dancing, acting, and design. So what we like to do is go through each category and rate them 1 through 10. Obviously, 1 being the worst, 10 being the best. So, Nicole, I'll start with you. Let's just start with singing. What did you rate this film 1 to 10 on singing alone? Like a 6, 7. Like a 6.5? Yeah. Okay. Um, I felt like Michelle Lee had a really beautiful voice when she was able to showcase that she was able to. Um... I didn't mind Ponty's voice, but I felt like in general, this show wasn't about the songs and dances. It was about the character performances Mm -hmm. and none of the actual vocal performances stood out to me except for I believe in you. So, right. I, you know, I, I, 
for me, I, I'm kind of right there with you. I give it a five, actually. Um, just because you had a lot of... This is kind of like of-era musical theater singing, to, so to speak. You mm-hmm. really have a lot of great, amazing voices in movie No, musicals. and even like... I mean, Brotherhood of Man is great when all of those voices come together. Right. But, I mean, there's nothing extraordinary about it. Right. I did like Sammy Smith. I mean, he plays <laughs> Twimble at the beginning in the mailroom guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he actually plays Wally Womper, the the like head of the board of directors mm-hmm. at the end. Um, so he's playing two different roles in this movie. But um, he has a pretty nice voice. Um, yeah, I mean, Robert Morse is okay. Michelle Lee, I think, carries the film mm-hmm. vocally on that end. But um, yeah, I just gave it a five overall. So um, dancing. Now here, folks, I have to I have to make sure I mention this. Dancing is actually a pretty interesting thing for this yes. film because um, if I'm going by basically what um, the the credits of this movie are telling us is that the original choreographer of this film was a gentleman by the name of Dale Morita mm-hmm. um, who really doesn't have any th- credits attached to his name, but he's attached to this. However, the movie also has listed as the original musical stager a gentleman by the name of Bob Fosse. Mm-hmm. And obviously when you watch a number like Secretary is Not a Toy, that is obviously Fosse. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting enough is nothing else in the movie looks like Fosse whatsoever. So my theory is that they looked at this film, they saw that they didn't really have a really great dance number, so they said, let's get Bob Fosse in here and <laughs> do Secretary is Not a Toy. Yeah. And it turned out to be the the, the, the number of, you know, mm-hmm. of, the, of, the, of the movie there. So... Um, Nicole, what did you give the dancing for this film? Taking everything into all into consideration. I gave it a seven. Wow. Okay. Yes. Which is a low score for me. That is usually a low score because <laughs> you usually love the dance. Yes. Um, only because I felt like it was a little bit piecemeal. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the numbers that they had... Like, um, again, referencing um, Gotta Get That Man, I believe, in you reprise at the end with in the men's room and all of that. And that was fun, but it wasn't necessarily totally clean because, again, people were moving when they were supposed to be frozen and there was uh, the staging of it just seemed really strange. Right. The pirate number just seemed a little haphazard. I love, again, Secretary is Not a Toy is great. Brotherhood of Man is generic. You know, I I feel like there were a lot of missed opportunities, especially with what a great set they had, mm-hmm. to, even if the choreography was simplistic, to make it visually more interesting than it was. Right, right. So. Yeah, I, I gave it a five, again, just because <laughs> I think... You've got this great dance number that Fosse came in and did, and then mm-hmm. everything else is just kind of just standing and clapping and doing a two-step, and it's like, you know, what are you going to do? And, you know, it's funny. It's like now, you know, if you watch the Tony Award performance of Daniel Radcliffe, when mm-hmm. he was in it, and they did Brotherhood of Man for the Tonys, like that's a huge dance number mm-hmm. with outstanding choreography. Um, and so, like, it, it kind of shows you what that number can be and what right. the movie is lacking. And that's and you can really say that this movie is lacking choreography. I mean, you really mm-hmm. have that that even the opening number, um, you know, Brotherhood of Man. Um, they they also cut a lot of music out of this film too, as well. That I mean, Coffee Break is a is a great number that could have been in there that could have given you some great choreography. That they cut that. So um, it seems like they cut a lot of their choreo- choreographic mm-hmm. dance numbers out of this thing. So um, I gave it a five for that as well. Um, Acting-wise, Nicole, how'd you feel with the acting in this movie? Um, I felt as though all of the characters came across as disingenuous. Mm-hmm. And I would... But did they, did, a, did they do a good job in I, I disingenuous? Don't, I don't know. I, did, I just... I hate to say it. I disliked it so much mm-hmm. that I had a hard time engaging with any of it. Right. So I'm going to give it a five because wow. it's middle of the road. Mm-hmm. There was nothing about it that made me say they're all terrible. They're terrible actors. I hate them. Right. But there was absolutely nothing about it that made me say, Oh my goodness, what an amazing performance. Mm-hmm. 
I just, and again, maybe it was just the script or the plot or something that I could not engage in, but nothing about their acting performances stood out to me. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I gave it a five as well. Five's all around here, I feel like. It's just, <laughs> yeah, some, you have some, some, you know, good performances, some okay performances. I think some of the character actors in this mm-hmm. thing do a good job. Like John, well, I mean, Hetty even, I think like is Hedy, a fun... Like John Myers, who plays Brat, like mm-hmm. he's... He's also one of my favorite actors in 1776, the movie, too, as well. So, like, um, seeing him in this was like, hey, that guy. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's kind of five. Because Robert Morris is just so weird. And, like, it that, is. it's such yeah. a weird performance. And when you're getting a weird performance from your lead character, it's just going to bring down the entire rest of the film. Mm-hmm. So, all right, design. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off. I'm going to give you my score first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gave it a 10. Me, too. Design-wise. I mean, it just, I mean, this thing screams... 1967 it looks everything the sets are phenomenal and there's a vision to it like when you look at this movie the whole movie looks like it's coming from the same that the same scope nothing feels put together whereas the dancing and the musical numbers feel like they were thrown in haphazard Mm -hmm. i feel like the sets and the costumes were really were really thought out and very conscientiously done. So nice. nice. All right, well, folks, we know that sometimes when you're making these movie adaptations, not every single song is going to make the final cut. So, wait, you're making a face. Cut them all out. Like, oh, <laughs> that was it. So you just want to cut all the songs? <laughs> like, no, I take it back. I'm sorry. <laughs> there you go. I'm um, so. I like to call this section numbers that we needed for obviously songs that were cut, numbers that we could do without for maybe those songs that we probably just didn't need in the final cut. Mm-hmm. And then, hey, if you've got five minutes and you just need to watch five seconds of this movie or five minutes of this movie, what are you going to fast forward to? Mm-hmm. So, Nicole, I'll start with you. Um, well, actually, do you know a lot of – I should before I ask you this, do you, I should preface this. Do you know a lot about the stage musical, about the numbers that were cut and things like that? Uh, no, I only no. know – what was in the film and actually out of the stage musical the only numbers i've seen were things that were also in the film so oh, okay well i'll i'll tell you then i'll, I'll then mm-hmm. i'll go with it i'll just give you my picks then i mean they cut a lot of music out of this movie um especially like a lot of rosemary's solos mm-hmm. so she does this great song called how to keep his dinner warm or happy to keep his dinner warm um there's then there's the coffee break um number that was also cut as well so you know, they just they just made some odd choices of what to keep and what not. So I would say that like the number that we needed was probably Coffee Break because it is an opportunity for a good choreographed number mm-hmm. uh, at that point. Um, but at the same time, um, I do love "Happy to Keep His Dinner Warm." That's one of my favorite songs that that Rosemary sings. Um, Why? What's it about? It's just all about like her vision of, of the perfect life and perfect marriage like she's going to come home and like be like this this amazing wife to her husband who's working hard and things like that and I just like the melody of it and, and it, it does it does actually give her some context into why she's attracted to someone like Pierpont who is so ambitious and go-getting and wants to like try to like rise to the ranks as quickly as possible um, as opposed to like you know she just bumping into him and saying, "Oh my God, you look so vulnerable. I'm attracted to you now." You know, it's it's it definitely gives you some context to her character, what she's looking for. Is this a dig because you had cold potatoes at dinner tonight? I did have cold potatoes. <laughs> oh God, if I could only have a rosemary in my life. Hey, keep my who could literally keep my dinner warm. That'd I be, can't. No, awful, awful. You have two minutes to eat it, or it goes cold. Exactly, exactly. All right, how about numbers that we can do without? Now I know you just said that you'd like to cut them off. <laughs> We can't do that. Um, what number would you like? If you had to pick one number, they'd be like, look, we could probably do without this. Um, the, mo- not moles, but the squirrels. The squirrels. Oh, the groundhog. The groundhog. groundhog. Com- the grand old ivy. We were talking about grand, you know. The, yeah, the and I mean, it was fun. Yeah. But it had nothing to do with the plot. And I feel like even, to say, I believe in you. I don't feel like the, it belongs where it is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, I feel like it's too kind and beautiful of a song to fit in this show. And yeah. the fact that they have her singing it just makes her look 
fickle and like she's jumping on someone's bandwagon instead of uh, genuinely meaning it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Great Old Ivy is one of those, like, it's him trying to get in with, with Bigley in a way and trying to, like, say sing his fight song. Um, but, I mean, you could do that with a quick, you know... I mean, well, again, it, doesn't have to it be was fun, yeah. but they already showed that with the knitting thing, and they show like they've already shown him doing that to get his way right. in other ways. I also kind of wish that, like, I mean, Secretary of Donna's Toys is is like I said, it's a great dance number, but I feel it's like a sarcastic song. Mm-hmm. Like they're not being sincere when they're saying a secretary is not a toy. They're like. You know, like at the very beginning when, when Brat's like, okay, you know, secretary's not a toy. And the guy's like, whatever you say, Mr. Brat. He's like, you're right. right, Mr. Brat. And it's like, no, no, like he's being serious. Like they're not toys. And then like you watch that number and like you're listening to the mm-hmm. men in the song and the women in the song. And you're just like, you know, the, for instance, the women are saying that like her pads for to write in and not spend the night in. Mm-hmm. And the guys are just like, meh, 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 meh. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, God, this is, this is bad. Right. So, yeah, I, that that's a number that I could probably do without as well. Even though it's, like, the best choreographed number in the, in the movie, it's, like, just listening to it. You're just like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I wish I could do an HR department in my house right now. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, it's like that whole movie is just a training video for HR. It is. It really is. Um, all right. Well, Nicole, if you've got five minutes, what, what number are you going to go to? In I'm going to watch the Fosse number. Yeah. Because like, it's Fosse, right? Like, yeah. that's, you got to do it. I might go to Michelle Lee singing I Believe in You, but, like, I also love the opening number. I just love the opening number as, like, a song. I don't like the way they staged it in this movie at all. Also, I don't know what tempo they were doing it because they were, like, on, on speed mm-hmm. when they recorded it. He's, like, going, like, a, a speed and a half too fast. But um, I do like the opening number um, as well. Um, Why did... All right. So, sorry. Can we go back to lingering questions for a moment? Please. Why didn't they make him comb his hair? Yeah. Again, (laughs) it's... Like, if you told me that Robert Morris was either drunk or stoned when they made this film... The entire film. I would believe you. I'd be like, yeah, okay. I see it. Also, at the end, is he trying to become president of the United States? Is that like... Yeah. That's creepy. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's nothing likable. So... We've had this argument before because I know there are TV shows that you want me to watch mm-hmm. that I refuse to watch, like House of Cards, because it's filled with people who are not kind. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and, you know, cast with people who are not kind. Well, yes, that too. <laughs> but that's one of the, like, that's the main reason why this is so unpalatable because the most kind people are played off as idiots. Yeah. It's true. It's just no fun to watch. I can't root for anyone, <laughs> especially not a guy who doesn't comb his hair. <laughs> especially guys who don't cut their hair. Um, all right. Well, folks, we like to give out some awards. Um, these are very prestigious awards, obviously. So we have the Barber Award, which goes to who we feel is the best singer in this movie. We have the Russell Crowe Award that goes to the person we think is the worst singer or least great singer in this movie. And, of course, the Bumlet Award. The Bumlet Award is named after Dominic Lucero's character in West Side Story. Not West Side Story. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Newsies. Um, he, is, he plays a character named Bumlet. And he's if you watch Newsies, he's the guy spinning on the fan at the end of the King of the York number. And you can't take your eyes off of him for the rest of the film. Um, and I wanted to name an award after him for an ensemble member, a background member, a supporting cast member that just kills it to the point where you just, every time they're on screen, you cannot take your eyes off of them. So... Nicole, who was going to yes. get your Barber Award for How to Succeed? It has to be Michelle Lee. It has to be, right? Mm-hmm. That was my pick, too. I mean, almost by default. She's like, she, it right. feel like she's the only real singer in this right. entire movie. And I feel terrible because like, she had two, like, two or three of her numbers were actually cut. And, they, and, and again, I Believe in You is not sung by Rosemary at all in the actual stage version. It's actually... It actually doesn't come till Act Two, mm-hmm. and uh, and just Finch says, sings it. So that was that was a weird that was a weird choice. But um, all right, so who's gonna get your Russell Crowe award? Um, the old men. Just who, all the like, old men. Well, there's like a group of them that chime in every once in a while, mm-hmm. and like Bigley's entourage. Yeah. Okay. And they, I mean, even if they're not singing whole songs. They're singing like little refrains and things like that here and there. Right. And 
it's not even that their voices are bad. I just feel like everything that they sing is distasteful. <laughs> just, just awful lyrics le- left and right. Yes. For me, it's going to be Rudy Valley, Valley, uh, who plays Bigley. Uh, <laughs> like he's not even trying to sing in that Groundhog number. No. He's just like he's just talking it the entire time. So that's he got he gets my pick. All right, Nicole, who's going to get your Bumbles Award for this? Um, I don't know their names, but in The Secretary is Not a Toy, the gentlemen dancers on the steps. Okay. Who are the doing. three guys that are snapping the yes. fingers? Okay. Yes. Um, just because of, again, nerd alert, how they're using the negative space in their bodies. And I really love the, the punctuation in their movement really stood out to me Mm. and i know you're making the face like my wife is a nerd (laughs) well yes of course um interesting enough my bummer award also comes from that same number it's going to go to the black secretary the woman who's the african-american secretary because first of all i see her in that number and then i'm literally looking for her for the entire rest of the movie Mm -hmm. like where did she go and why aren't there more of them right um so and first of all and if she's the only African-American woman working in this gigantic company, you know what? Good for you. You deserve every <laughs> right. award for that. You deserve to be on the poster. You deserve to be on the poster, and you deserve every single award. So here's here's all the awards mm-hmm. to that woman. All right, Nicole, I have one last question. Yes. Should this get a remake? No. I don't think you can do it. No. I don't think you can remake it because, first of all, and you, you, can't, you can't remake it in a way that make it more PC. Like you no. Can, you can't do that. You can't remake it with a person of color in that role because it wouldn't make sense for 1967. Well, without getting into like really racial, like, because here's the thing: like right. when, when Pierpont's like rising, the meteoric rise that he has, he's being hated on because of the rise. Right. If you put a person of color in there, then the hate becomes: is it because they're black or Asian or Latino right. and they're getting a meteoric rise? It just adds an extra like element of darkness right. to an already like terrible like message to show to begin with um you can't make you can't really make rosemary or smitty or like any of these characters like stronger than they're written mm-hmm. so to speak because like the plot line like needs them to be subservient and secondary characters and props basically in this, in right. this movie so well and also as a modern audience I think you want to be able to hate the characters. Right. And if you make them more human, it's, I mean, it's a whole lot easier to hate Jay Pierpont if he is a handsome young white guy. And mm-hmm. I hate to, that's not necessarily the great, you know, the kindest thing to say, but it's a lot easier to have derision towards him than it would be towards anyone else. It's just, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough piece to to try to do now. Even well, I just don't think you can. You can unless you're doing it. So, do you remember when we went to Disney World and we were on the Jungle Cruise, and yes. how they were making obvious satirical commentary on the uh, the native statues mm-hmm. and all of the other very outdated, you know racist but also just untimely things that are in that ride mm-hmm. um i think that would be the only way that this could be redone is if it is a complete satire and there's nothing genuine about it right. as if we're watching the kind of the rising of this guy while we're sitting back and saying what a dirtbag mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. And if we don't, as an audience, get that opportunity, then this is no fun to watch. Right. Interestingly enough, um, you know, obviously the 1995 revival that starred Matthew Broderick, Megan Mullally played Rosemary mm-hmm. in, that, in that revival. And you listen to her on that cast recording, and it's awful. She sounds awful on that cast recording. So to her credit, her voice has just done wonders. She's done a complete 180 since that 1995 um, show. Also interesting note, the 1996 U.S. national tour starred Ralph Macchio in that role. Aww. Jerry Pierpont. See? Well, and there, but that's a Dick Van Dyke situation. Right. I love Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio. 
But I wouldn't want to see him play that role. I would have paid to see Ralph Macho in this. Uh, And Roger Bart played Bud Frump. So there you go. Um, And, of course, the the 2011 Broadway revival, which, again, I mean, even though this was done in 2011, I would say, like, roles of women, our culture, professional settings were much different now than they were in 2007 or 2011. So, like... Mm -hmm. Even back in 2011 when I saw it, I was still like, ooh, this is a little weird. But still it was like, you know. You could say ha-ha a little bit more easily. Right. Nowadays it's like you watch this and it's just uncomfortable. But I also think, too, from your personal perspective, you're a parent now. And I think you have a lens on of what, because I know I do. Mm-hmm. If I'm watching something, do I want my kid to watch this? Eh, no. Do I want him to think it's okay to talk to other people like that? No. Like, what value do I want him to take out of, like, art like that? It, it, it's just, I feel like it's easy to say the world was so different. The world was a little different. Mm. But I also think we are different as audience members now, too. Right, right. Well, I th- yeah, I think this is just one of those pieces that's just like, yeah, I think just let it go. Like, if you want, if you like, if how about sp- this? What if we watch it with the sound off? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but like, what's what's weird to me is like, this is one of the most popular shows for high schools to perform. I know it's just so ridiculous to me. And it's like, how can as a high school, like, how can you perform this now? Like, how, like this, along with like, I, I also think like musicals like Grease are another one where it's like, how can you perform these pieces right now? given what's, mm-hmm. what, what's happening in our culture. Um, but also, I mean, are they performing watered-down versions of these? Like, is... But how can you... That's the thing. Is like, how can you water... Like, Greece and, and, and this, where, like, literally, I think the message of Greece is, like, succumbing to peer pressure. And then, like, with this, it's, like, so much sexual harassment that goes, like, unchecked. Well, I know, but even, I mean... In Greece, we're taking out all the language. We're taking out all of the innuendo. Right. It's just the songs... That's a good point. That's a good point. So, yeah, I think good stuff all around, though. I mean, it's 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 one of those like. I think we just let it let it move on. Let it, let's yeah. put it out to sea. There you go. There you go. Well, folks, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to <coughs> Nicole and I tonight. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, we are going to be back next week. Well, not not me and Nicole, but me and Mm-mm. someone else will be back next week with a brand new episode of the Movie Musical Shakedown. I. I'm hesitant to say what movie we're going to do. I'll just say it anyway. We're doing 1776 next week. And I'm going to have my... Pins. Pins. Salt, Peter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm doing it with my good friend Greg uh, Earhart, who you've heard on a couple of these podcasts. But considering the political turmoil that we're living in right now, I figured, you know what? What's, what better time to do something? And it's also his favorite movie, right? It's also his favorite musical of all time. Yeah. Like, uh, Greg, what you need to know about Greg, and we'll talk about this on the podcast, he's not a musical guy. But if I said to him, hey, let's go, let's go see the 1776, he will throw down for that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he loves that, that musical. So we'll, we'll definitely get into all of his loves and, and, and reasons why and all that fun stuff. But you can find this podcast and more on the Onstage Blog Network at onstageblog.com, along with all the other podcasts that we're doing because we have actually a full, like, staple of shows right now. So not only do you have um, this one, but you have – the ripple effect that I do with my good friend Ken Jones. Uh, you've got, um, oh my gosh, the Nobody's in New York podcast, which is now 14 episodes in from the Brothers Stew. So they're doing an amazing job. If you love food, if you love furniture, because they talk about furniture a lot on that show. Um, if you love theater, uh, they do some really, really fun stuff. And they, there's just really, really awesome personalities, like perfect for podcasting. It really is a really entertaining hour, and sometimes it's an hour and a half, actually. They, they, they record on that show, so um, it's fun to listen to. Um, you can also catch a last episode of the Movie Musical Shakedown of when we did Sweeney Todd on the network right now. We just started a brand new... <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face when I say this. We just started a brand new professional wrestling podcast on the <laughs> network because uh, I'm a huge professional wrestling fan, uh. along with Ken Jones and a good friend Forrest Helvey. Um, so we're doing a brand new podcast called Card Subject to Change. We just put up our first episode last week. We're going to do some more of these. Uh, my wife is shaking her head at me. I am. Um, 
and then finally, um, it's a theater thing. That's a, that's another one of our brand new podcasts done by good friend Tracy Danoff, um, Danoff. Oh my gosh, I always say that wrong. Danoff um, and a couple of her friends and buddies like Aaron Carl and uh, Trish Beefus, uh, who are just going to be basically talking about theater and just all things theater. So again, we've got a lot going on on the Onstage Blog Network. We can see all these on there. Um, you can also follow us on Spotify and now iTunes. So you can listen to this on all the big things, uh, all the big networks and podcast places, and can download us and all over the place because we're getting out there. Uh, and Nicole's giving me a face of like she's just starting to realize how many people are probably listening to her voice. Oh, no. Right oh, now. I didn't even think about yeah, that. I know. No, oh, my God. So, 14. What? 14 people? 14, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um,. But anyway, so like I said, you know, check out the Onstage Board Network because we've got a lot of interesting stuff on there. <laughs> We're going to keep throwing up new podcasts and, and trying to find new podcasts to, to come on the network, but it should be a good time. But thank you, Nicole. Absolutely. So, Happy to do it. So glad that we did this. I promise next time I'll have you watch a better movie musical than Please. this. Please. The only reason I'm here is you gave me Twizzlers. So. That's true. It's way to a lady's heart. All right, folks, have a great rest of your week. We will see you right here next week on the movie musical Shakedown. Get change! All right! You, sir, how about a shame? And in the end, should someone die? <laughs> My arm is I bet you want to know why I shot the bastard. You fucking bad. I hold a PhD in horribleness. See you at the aftermath. Peace.